Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest weekly podcast. And yeah, what a show we've got in store for you. <laughs> yeah, let's just hope it's as lively on the camera as it is off. And um, yeah, so Man United in the news again. They've spoken to Ten Hag, but is he the man? Um, I'm sure we'll be able to shine some light on that. FA Cup, what is, you know, what is going on with the semi-finals and the trains? Wow, that is absolutely ridiculous. Wonderful uh, FA Cup semi-final uh, Clash of the Titans, Liverpool City, but the fans can't make it. Um, the Premier League, really, what is the most interesting part of the Premier League really right now? It's maybe the race for fourth. And, of course, we've got the small matter of two England England friendlies, really. The last England friendlies ahead of the World Cup, um, which is an amazing prospect, bearing in mind you think it's, it's March and basically the tournament is in November, but that's where we are. So the last chance for Gareth Southgate to do some experimentation. But listen, let's start with Man United. And they have spoken to Ten Hag, really. I, I, I'm not sure that, that really it's, 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 him or, it's him or nothing, is it? That doesn't make him favourite, surely, does it? Uh, you know, Man United fans, I think, are sort of kind of divided on it. Jeremy, what, what's your take on it? On, 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 is Ten Hag, does, that, does the fact that he's been spoken to first make him in pole position or just the fact that Ajax allowed him to have a conversation? Yeah, I think obviously they've gone to Ajax. Van der Zaar obviously is, um, is running the show there and he's a, a close friend of United still. Um, they've got permission to talk to him um, and they've spoken to him. Um, United have been quick to stress that, you know, this doesn't actually mean that he's the favourite to get the job, which I presume will um, lead some United supporters to feel slightly relieved because my personal opinion, I don't think he is the right man for the job. Um, I'd have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that conversation between manager and club because, you know, I think it would have been more, should have been more about Ten Hag interviewing United, really, about what's going on there. Because I'm not sure if it's dawned on him. I don't know how closely he follows events at United, but I'm not sure it's dawned on him how big that task is for the next manager through the door. So, um, look, the guy's got a decent record. I didn't realise till yesterday that he's actually 52. I thought, I had it in my mind that it was like some young buck who's maybe just turned 40 and he's going to rip, rip European football, you know, uh, to pieces with some great success. But he's 52. He's obviously won two um, championships, t- Dutch championships, but look, with respect to Dutch football, it's pretty much a one-horse race most seasons. So yeah. I wouldn't say that that's anything to crow about. So I just think the guy, he has he won enough? Is he that elite coach? I know he is a coach, and United want a coach rather than a manager. Um, I just don't think he's at that elite level. He's got to that elite level of the person, the candidate, the calibre that United need. Mm. Andy, it does it does sort of make you laugh, doesn't it? Because yeah, he's obviously done a very good job. Please don't get me wrong at Ajax, yes. but you know, I mean, there would be similar inquests <laughs> at Man United if 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 frankly, Man United had lost to Benfica in the last round <laughs> as Ajax did. You know, I mean, also is he is he tested enough in Dutch football? I mean, I know Dutch football has produced such wonderful players and managers in the past, but. Is that too big a step up these days um, in that gap? Well, hey, listen, you're in a 
you, you could be between a rock and a hard place to a certain extent because, you know, it, it, it's okay. I, I think we all agree that in an ideal world, you know, you get a off-the-peg, uh, ready-made super coach, you know, a, a Jurgen Klopp, a Pep Guardiola, a Thomas Tuchel. Um, but unfortunately, those type of guys are in jobs. You know, I mean, those type of guys are in big, big jobs. So it's okay saying, well, you know, what United need is a proven winner um, on the very highest stage, i.e. not someone who's just won in, in Holland with respect. You know, I, I, I do think you shouldn't um, underestimate, you know, the job he's done in, in Holland. But it's okay saying, well, we want, you know, a proven winner on the very highest, at the very highest level on the very biggest stage. But these guys are in jobs. You know, these guys are, you know, in jobs. You could say, you know, Conte is a job at Spurs. Tuchel is a job at Chelsea. Guardiola Klopp, um, we know where they are. So it's, in a way, you've got to take a little bit of a punt, in a way. You know, and that, and that's where sort of, um, you know, the interview process comes into, into play. I mean, Pochettino, you could argue, is an off-the-peg super coach. Without, without the super wins, you know. But but you know he is either rightly or wrongly classed probably in that bracket. Um. So so he's another option. I, I, so I've got no. You know, I, I I like the way Ajax play. Um. Whether that gets converted into the way United play, but you know they might have to take a punt. You know we can only assume that he will impress them. The fans. I know Jeremy mentioned it about the fans, but you know from what I could see. In, in a poll done by Gary Neville on his um, social media feed, they were overwhelmingly in favour of Ten Hag. <laughs> and totally Manchester United support and friends of mine um, seem to think Ten Hag is, they certainly prefer him to Pochettino. You know, the the Pochettino, um, as, as auditions go at the moment, Pochettino is failing every single one, isn't he? I mean, it's absolutely, you know, it, it couldn't go, it couldn't be going any worse for him. So sort of getting beat it, you know, in the French League at Monaco, getting, you know, beaten in the Champions League. So you might have to take a minor gamble. I mean, and, and and that will feel a gamble because, of course, you've had the Solskjaer situation, the Rangnick situation, and United appear to be stumbling from one sort of half-baked, um, <laughs> half-baked plan to another. But you know, it's it, it it is the way the market is at, at the moment. You know, to me, it looks like a fairly straightforward choice between Ten Hag and Pochettino. And on the grounds that you sort of know what Pochettino can do, and maybe Ten Hag, you know, is untested at that level, and might be worth a gamble. What I, what I don't particularly like is the again we're in, we're in the process now of of it being all out there in the open, isn't it? You know, there's no, you know, you know, it, it's sort of now you're already hearing the. The, you know, um, a good Dutch journalist friend who we all know was on in, was on the radio, I think, last night, you know, saying that Ten Hag's already getting offers from other, other places and that United need to move quickly. And it all feels as though it just could be another sort of, as I say, half-baked sort of United plan. So I think they do need to move quickly, decisively. And, I, I, you know, I, just, I think Ten Hag would be an interesting appointment, let's put it that way. Would he be guarantee of... Um, success? Absolutely not. But would he be an interesting appointment? Yes, he would. Obviously, the fact is, I know Andy's said it's difficult to get, you know, obviously a Guardiola or a Klopp. But United, this is United, Man United we're talking about. They are arguably the biggest club in the world. Um, they should be trying to get the best man for the job, not not just the guy who might be available. 
Mm. You know, who, who is that? Who is that? I, I, I would say the best person would be too short. Mm. I think it'd be ideal for that for that role in terms of what it, what it needs, what sort of coach it needs. Now, look, getting him out of Chelsea is no mean feat. It would be very yeah. difficult, you know. And if Tuchel doesn't want to leave Chelsea, he doesn't want to leave Chelsea. But that's they, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. They should be trying at least trying to get get the right man. Whether yeah. but, but you you think you think they might. <clears throat> Do that, don't you? I mean, you you think they're going to? I think they'll try to get to, but I don't situation. think they're very hopeful of being able to get him out of Chelsea. I mean, from from mm. what he's said in recent weeks, he's, he's he's still very happy where he is. He has no intention of leaving Chelsea. He wants to see who the new owners are going to be and what their intentions are. Mm. And I don't blame him for that. You know, the the reigning European champions. Mm. But Chelsea aren't as big a club as Man United, and they never will be. No, no, and it doesn't stop them trying. That's the, That's the. No, they've got at least try. You know. I mean, yeah. They're probably paying the price, man. You know, that for failing years ago, they could have got Klopp. Woodward went to see Klopp. They ended up going to Liverpool. They could have. They could have got Tuchel. Maybe they could have got Pochettino in the last three or four years. And now, like Andy said, that they're actually they're picking from a small pool. That's the that's the issue. But yeah. you, you know what, Jess? I mean, it's a broader discussion, and it's one actually for an entire podcast. But when does Manchester United stop becoming? The biggest club, you know, when when does actually stop? I mean, at the moment for Tuchel, for me, for you, for you know, English football fans, football fans around the world, Man United is a huge name, still is. Listen, they haven't won anything for five years. Within the industry, within the managerial industry, is Manchester United the same? Is Chelsea? Is Manchester United a bigger pull than Chelsea? Now, I know that seems a ridiculous question. Yes, Man United is the biggest club. They've got a fan base which is unbelievable. They've got commercial pulling power like no other. But when does it stop with people mm. in the industry start thinking, when does Tuchel start thinking, well, hang on a minute, if Chelsea get the same level of investments that they had under Abramovich, then what's the better bet for me? This is a team, you know, who won the Champions League last year. This is a squad that won the Champions League. Chelsea are serial winners over the last, you know, decade. He's got a great squad. He's in London. You know, he likes it there. In other words, we there will come a time. It's like a philosophical question, really. There will come a time if this carries on at United, where United actually, you know, to a younger generation of coach and of player, it doesn't become a no-brainer like it was. You know, mm. it was. I mean, a no-brainer to take over. Listen, if you, you know, you were honoured to be offered to play or to manage Manchester United. You know, David Moyes. Now, I'm not saying he should have stayed at Everton, but it was absolutely. You know, it, it couldn't even have crossed his mind not to take that Manchester United job. But now there are people in jobs, such as Tuchel at Chelsea, for example, who, if you go and turn to them and say, OK, well, we're Man United, you know, we're going to flex our muscles as the biggest club on the planet, the self-styled global phenomenon. Here, I'll come to us. I don't think it's a no-brainer anymore that you're going to go. Antonio Conte could have waited. You know, surely he could have waited, or, or at least, and thought, well, I'll go to United. He's at Spurs. <clears throat> but he's not he's not the he's not the profile of manager that they want Andy is he I mean Matt Blimey sorry I'm not I'm, I, 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 we've not we've 10 minutes in not giving you a word yet apologies no, but um, it's um, you know I, 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 when I think of the profile uh, and we are talking sort of profile and what they, what they need it does bring us back to a our old friend Maurizio Pochettino, doesn't it? I mean, it's just, I just can't think of a better, you know, I know Gary Neville has been sort of kind of championing Poch and, and, 
I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing for Poch because it feels like United yeah. ran against his views. Does sometimes. anything like Gary Neville did at Valencia? Yeah, quite. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, I mean, what do you know? It, it, that's surely Matt the profile of manager, isn't it? A legacy manager, manager of champions, young. Unfortunately, yeah, and, and it's actually a criticism of United. Yes, mm. that's what they need because you've got to remember when Spurs signed Pochettino, he was a Southampton manager, done quite well. And an Espanol manager done quite well. He was yeah. he was nothing in the game effectively, and he built a five year legacy himself. And unfortunately, United are in a position that they need to build their own five year legacy just to get back to where they expect to be. And five years without a trophy already, that then takes it up to you know it might not be a trophy for another five years. Certainly, if they go for Pochettino, chances are they won't. <laughs> but, um, but they need to build the squad again. They need to build the belief that they're the club that they are. And I think the difference is if you do that road that Pochettino took Spurs along with United, they're a big enough club then to move on to the next phase. And I think as it got to year four and a half and whatever you you with Pochettino, he realised the club weren't really going and he had nowhere else to go. Whereas United, that door's then opened to greater things. But you need to do it. I mean, that's the four and a half years that Fergie spent before winning the FA Cup. You know, they need to be thinking in that sort of terms. And they need to think who they want. Because let's get it right. The reason City have done so well is because they decided years in advance that they wanted Pep Guardiola to be their manager. And they touted him. You know, they they <coughs> tapped him up when he was at Bayern. That They said, look, there's a place here for you, Pep. Don't go anywhere. They got his mate in to run the shop, you know, up, you know in the boardroom. You know, they, they had a vision of how they wanted... City to be, and that's what they've delivered on. And United need to do the same. And like you say, that you've got to pick a whether it's Tuchel, whoever they've got to have someone they believe in, they think is going to be the one. Make it clear to that person, you know, look, you might not be now, but you know, the job's there for you. Mm. Just, just let us know, uh, and do it that way. Even if they, if they need to get the right man, because they need to get the right man. The, the, the problem they've got is they spent so long down the flawed idea that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was suddenly going to become a great manager, <clears throat> that, um, that they've wasted time. And and, and it, it's a very unforgiving business in that school. So, so yeah, I think it just needs firm leadership from within the club to decide mm-hmm. where, what's the vision, where are we going? And Pochettino could do that if people are patient enough. I don't think the fans will be. Um, or you pick somebody that you know you're going to get eventually and it'll all become clear when, when that person finally becomes available. John, whoever they pick, mm. what Matt, Matt's made a good point there, whoever they pick, they need to make it clear that this, this guy will be given several years to rebuild mm. that team. Mm. They need to pick someone and give him the players that suit whatever his plan is, whatever his identity is going to be for that team. And it may involve going through a few more years of pain, you know, in terms of not winning anything, to get back to that level that they, they were under Fergie. Now, will, will they ever get back to that level they were under Fergie? Probably not, because, mm. you know, Fergie was a one-off. There's never going to be another Fergie come along. You know, he managed the club for two more than two decades, made them the, a monster. And, you know, like, I'm just going back to Andy's point about how they're the biggest club in the world. It's a, how, do you, how do you judge that category? Because, you know... Commercially, they are in, the fan, in terms of fan base, they are. But like Andy said, we're not winning for five years. So, in terms of winning trophies, they're not even the biggest club in England, let alone the world. Mm, yeah, but they are. So do, they, do, they remain a monster commercially, and you know, in terms of their value mm. and, and all the other things that go around 
the team. So, you know, it's, it, it, they, they just need to pick pick whoever they pick. They need to stick with him, and the fans need to appreciate that. The, the maybe it's going to be a long job. Yeah. See, I think you know, you, you, you and Matt raised the raised the point there about the sort of kind of the patience aspect, basically. Now you you have to have a structure there within to 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 build a squad, to build a legacy, to build a team, don't you? Basically, to build a vision, if you like. But then you also have to have, I don't know, important moments of public support, I guess. And what I'm trying to say is there is the structure there behind the scenes to provide that strength, to provide that kind of confidence for the fans when you have dark moments. And don't get me wrong, they'll still be screaming for the manager to be sacked, but, you know, basically, you know, you'll stick with it and so you can see out the other side. So even if it takes three years and you have one particularly bad year, then it will be worth it in the long run. Is that structure there? Do you think that's that, that for me is, you know, is the issue. You've got Richard Arnold replacing Ed Woodward, you know, and that's what people see as the public face of the club. I don't know what... Have, have they what got this other guys? figure that turns up in the best seats every week who's still part of the club? Uh, and I'm just raising a hypothesis here, given what he's done since. But if perhaps Fergie had supported David, his mate David Moyes earlier mm. and they'd ridden that first, what is it, 10 months, might he have been the manager that could have taken them? I mean, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm asking the question. I'm not asking. Yeah. But yes. could you go back to him now, Matt? Could you go back to him Well, now? I don't know, if, but you've missed all that opportunity. But if perhaps mm. Fergie had said, no, no, this is the guy that I said should replace me, the re- you know, bear with him, then I think United fans owed him, owed Fergie, the respect to say, okay, well, we'll give it more than a season anyway. Mm. The thing he- is, John, he, 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 he's not turned out David, to be such a bad manager, is he? David Martin's on a hiding to nothing. He didn't want to be the manager that succeeded Fergie. He wanted to be... The manager who succeeded the manager who succeeded yeah, yeah. so and that that was obviously uh, Louis Van Gaal, which you know, and the, he won an FA Cup, but it, it didn't turn out to be much of a success. But but, but hang on a sec, Jez. If you say that about Liverpool, then when Shankly, then Bob Paisley never happened. You know, you've got to go there believing you're going to be just as successful, if not more successful. Mm. I agree with that, but it's defeatism from the start, and that's probably where the club's gone wrong. You know, your appointment manager says, no, no, I'll take this on and we'll go on a level. But Moyes was the hand-picked choice of Sir Alex Ferguson, who was who was stepping aside. So there's no way in the world that United were going to look anywhere else other than David Moyes. The problem David Moyes added, he, he just couldn't cope with the, the just the burden of what comes with managing Man United. You know, well, as we see now, Moyes is a great manager. He's doing wonderful things at West Ham. You know, he's, he's rebuilt himself, as, he's restored his reputation. But he was just the club was too big for him, and who's to say that won't be the same for Ten Hag if he comes in? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and also, I, I think I think you know I understand what everyone's saying about the the long term, and you know you have to be patient. But you know they're pretty patient with Solskjaer, and I I, 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 I don't I don't agree. I, I think that the manager's got to come in and be fairly instantly competitive. He's certainly got to have them challenging. You, you know they are so far behind the top two, stroke three. Well, the top three, you know, they are so far behind Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City and Chelsea, you know, it's untrue. So, you know, he's got to, got to bridge that gap very, very quickly. And there's no excuse. You can't turn around and say, well, it's, it's you know, it's a whole rebuild job, a whole restructuring job. Well, hang on a minute. You know, you've got you've got a very expensive squad in there with some very, very good players. You know, now, now you can't tell me that the current manager or the previous manager 
is getting the best out of a team that in, that, that includes you know so much talent. It, it just it, they're not. They haven't been. They are punching way below their weights. They don't fit enough. They're not. They don't seem cohesive enough. So the new manager, you know, I, I, I know he'll probably come in and say, and he's in a position of strength, a new pair of managers, to say, well, actually, you know what you've done. Do you remember when Jose Marino sat there in that press conference uh, for United and pointed out, he said, it, 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 when we talk about big club, he says, you know, you talk about the heritage of Manchester United. And he went through season by season what they'd done before he arrived. Mm-hmm. He basically said, you know, there's your heritage there. They've done nothing. There's your heritage. So, you know, the new manager really is coming in from that position of strength where he can say, well, well, actually now, you know, you've got to give me time and patience and money to rebuild. Well, hang on a minute. You know, this this squad is underperforming massively. The actual squad they've got now, individual players are not performing anywhere near their potential. And I include Sancho, even though for his recent upsurge in form. I obviously include Marcus Rashford. I include Bruno Fernandes, Harry Maguire, even Varane, Juan Basaka. You know, um, even Luke Shaw. You know, these are—they've got a decent squad there that is just not performing anywhere near. And his first job, never mind rebuilding, his first job is to get that squad competitive. But the get problem them. is, Andy, that that squad will be dismantled in the summer, won't it? I, I mean, I don't know who, who, who will it. Well, Cavani's going to leave. Ronaldo's probably going to leave. Why? Why, why would mm-hmm. Ronaldo hang around at United for a second season? No, he's probably not going to win anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, might lose, they might lose Paul Pogba as a regular substitute. <laughs> Pogba's obviously going to leave after this interview he's done this week. Anyway. You know, Rashford, there's suggestions. Rashford's thinking about what he wants to do. You know, there'll, there'll, be, there'll, be, there'll be a lot of comings and goings this summer at United. And it's not, it's not, you can't just, you can't just rebuild a team, can you? You can tweak it in a, in a window, but you can't rebuild a team in, in, in one window or two windows. Yeah, it is amazing when you look at that United squad, isn't it? Yeah. Basically, there's so many deficiencies. Lack of a centre-forward, you know, kind of a lack of a midfield axis. They've been trying to rebuild the defence for years, thought they'd stumbled onto something, and now it's not looking quite so promising. I mean, it is amazing. I mean, when you look at, look at, look at, when did, like, Liverpool signed Andy Robertson from Hall and have basically made, turned him into the arguably the best left-back in the world. Yeah, yeah. When did Man United last do something like that? When did they sign someone relatively unknown and, and coach him and, and make him, you know, a, an absolute world class player? I can't, I can't recall that happening. No, no. Well, well I don't if, think if, has, I, is it? If, if, if fact, Jeremy, what, what they do is actually the very opposite, don't they? Yeah. They turn, for example, they players worse. They've turned Wan Bissaka from probably one of the most promising <laughs> fullbacks in the world. You know, you know. I mean, to one of the most underperforming, they they actually do the polar opposite to what Klopp and Guardiola do. Old Trafford yeah. has become, I think I said this last week, has now become a place for good players to go and stagnate, basically. Yeah, or, yeah. or regress. I mean, and, and, again, yeah. with, with the caveat that he's done Bill well Jones. in recent weeks, you, have, you only have to see that with Jaden Sancho. He came as one of the most exciting players in the world for five months. He stunk the place out. Yeah. You know, okay, and as I say, I guess with the caveat there, he's been playing well in recent weeks, but still not well enough to get into Gareth Southgate's England squad. Cross, if you if you were Richard Arnold, who would you be trying to get as manager? Me, Pochettino. Would you? Arsene Wenger. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, hey, I'd, 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 I'd go with Pochettino. Hey, I'd just hey, give him hey. time, though. It takes time. Cross it. John, I, I, you know what? There, there is. In fact, I, I'm, I'm thinking of column idea coming on. All of a sudden, it's hit me. I did see those quotes while I was away the weekend from Wenger saying that doesn't he miss management and wants to get back into it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, tr- and trust me, he's fit enough and, and sharp enough. 
He said he missed it's like being on Brighton. He said he, he imagined, but you know, I mean, what, what, what a shout that would be. He's, he's quite well liked at Old Trafford, isn't he? I mean, sort of in a grudgingly after his famous grudgingly game, respectful yeah. way, yeah, 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 yeah. grudgingly Go respectful. for it, yeah, yeah. just yeah. imagine it. He's been dropping a couple of years, yeah. wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. It could yeah. have a couple yeah. of chapters to a certain book, that couldn't oh, it? Oh, I don't know what book you mean, yeah, it's in That's what I'm thinking, coming up, absolutely. Moving on, let's look at the FA Cup because I tell you what, the FA Cup has thrown up a couple of terrific semi-finals, um, and obviously the headline act is going to be Liverpool, Manchester City. Uh, quite apart from the travel chaos, which we'll come on to in a sec, but I mean, Matt, that is then throwing up a meeting of these two titans twice in within the space of a week, twice in six days, effectively. Who is edging it in both the title race showdown and then the FA Cup semi-final rematch? I think the way it's gone and the, the tapestry of football and the way it goes, I think Liverpool edge both of them. Do you? Wow. But then City will do the big one. What, the Champions League? Champions League, finally. Wow. Right, OK. I think Pep will finally get it right there. But, um, yeah, I'm not so sure. I, yeah. I, it's really hard. I think the FA Cup's one that's really up for grabs because that's got nothing else riding on it. You know, it, mm. it's it's kind of the, it's a shame because I know you you love the FA Cup as we mentioned <laughs> every time it comes up. But um, but no, I think I think the league's important out of pride to the managers because that says really out of the three competitions, that's the one that dictates which is the best team, the one who wins the league, not the Champions League, not the FA Cup because that's the consistently the best team. Uh, and I think the, the two rival managers will take most pride from lifting that than, a, than even the Champions League. But then Pep really needs to lift the Champions League to finish off his sort of tenure at Manchester City and, and complete the set. Uh, mm. and, and the kind of the FA Cup is going to be the experimental practice kind of bit in the middle that, you know, we'll see how it goes. But but actually, if we lose that one, that's if you want to lose one of those three, that's the one you want to lose, isn't it? Mm. Is it? Don't know about that. You don't want to lose any of them, do you? <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, no. I've just been sarky because my. But I think it's great. Cool. I think the best team should be in the cup for semi-finals. I mean, yeah. we, we've had all four semi-finals with you know league with championship teams, and it's oh, that's the magic of the cup, and it actually comes to it. And you know, Barnsley in a semi-final doesn't really work. It doesn't. You know, by yeah. the time he gets yeah, have all your upsets in the early <laughs> round. Yeah, no, no. Liverpool and City meet in the semi rather than the final because Chelsea well any regrets that basically Liverpool and City meet in the semi-finals rather than the final I know that if you're you're a Chelsea or Crystal Palace fan you're immediately throwing something at the screen here but basically it's you know, I, I don't, no, I don't know. want that to be the cup final. They battle down the league. No, yeah. they're happy to. Oh, we'll get the show piece of it. And you get, I mean, an underdog against a, a big team in the final, that's slightly different because yeah. providing, providing they can live with each other and not, not stay. I mean, <coughs> sort of the, the mighty hull against the, the lesser Arsenal, for instance, was a fascinating <laughs> cup final for 45 minutes. Um, but, and that's great. But, uh, but yeah, no, I think Chelsea, I think that's fallen quite well because then. It gives Palace a, a realist that they, they'll feel they've got a chance. Chelsea will know that they've got to do it again. But if they take it off the ball, I, I, that 
But I've seen Palace a few times recently, and, and that's no walkover for Chelsea. And if they go into that game thinking that, then they're going to get stung badly. Um, and, and I think it'll be a great final. So, but yeah, and, and then Manchester City, Liverpool, is a great semi-final. You don't need it as the final when you've got them chasing the league and potentially Europe as well. Yeah, Patrick Vieira, by the way. But if someone else says that he's underappreciated, underrated, he's going under the radar, I will scream. He's the most he's underappreciated man ever, isn't he? Yeah, it's unbelievable. So underappreciated. He's on the verge of being underappreciated. Listen, people don't appreciate how underappreciated he is. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever heard anything like that? But I mean, who needs Barnsley in a semi final? I mean, have you ever. No, not a Well, I'll tell you what, the romance of Man City, Liverpool, and Chelsea in the semi final has really got me teary eyed. You know, one of them's under sanctions for a start off. <laughs> the other is owned by Abu Dhabi, the is owned by some Americans, and, and they're just financial clout battering every other team into submission. And oh, Philly thinks that's the romance of the oh, FA Cup. What's wrong with And as it happens, as it happens, uh, did you know that, it, strangely enough, um, the first, when they, the, the first two semi finals at the new Wembley, when they introduced it, Barnsley were in those semi finals. Portsmouth Barnsley, from West Brom. Now, so, so, to talk us through, talk us through the two thousand and eight one, then the two thousand and eight one, the outstanding FA Cup semi final of two thousand and eight. I can't remember them, mate. I can remember yeah, Barnsley Cardiff. That's exactly the point. It doesn't matter. Remember, I mean, the point is, you remember Ryan Giggs taking off and running the touchline. They're the big semi finals. Mm. We remember Barnsley playing Liverpool and knocking them out of the cup. Well, well, uh, what's well, the most memorable? Cardiff was an absolute stinker of a semi-final. But there's, there's been so many stinkers of semi-finals. The, the idea that... Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, it's not the magic without the magic. It's, you know, it's got to be a decent football match that people are engaged in. And, and Barnsley Cardiff just wasn't. And it's like... My mum's yeah. from Barnsley, Dunny, so I'm just... Oh, oh, I Barnsley, didn't I? As you know. You're so, giving you know. a Barnsley chap. <laughs> I, I paid. I paid to, to sponsor a seat at Barnsley until that part of the ground was sectioned. We all did. You know, I tell but, you what, guys, this does lead us on to though Liverpool City and the, and this sort of kind of furore around the around the trains. Surely it's time we have a wider conversation. I don't know about sort of the semi-finals. We know that the FA is sort of tied to Wembley. I don't know. There's too much you can do about that. I mean, you know, the FA would, would would understandably argue, well, the money and the revenue goes towards paying off Wembley, but also the grassroots, basically, you know. And surely, though, we've got to have a wider conversation about travel for away fans because, uh, you know, this can't just be about one game, one semi final. It's about the midweek games in the north, the south. It's about the late kickoffs at the weekend. It's about the early kickoffs at the weekend. Doesn't this highlight a wider issue? Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be talking about it? That basically a year ago we we're talking about fans not getting enough respect. Surely, it's about time, isn't it, that they sort of structure fixtures with half an eye you know, on, on the match going fan. Don't you think? Yeah, it feels, to me, it feels ironic that it's, it's literally 12 months ago since the Super League proposal yep. reared its ugly head, collapsed, you know, as fast as it almost arrived upon us, you know, and, and and let's be honest, it was English football supporters and their reaction and their demonstrations that actually brought the Super League proposal down. You know, if it wasn't for that, for that who knows what might have happened? So, you know, we lived back then. We lived. We spent weeks 
hearing football authorities praise the supporters, make it clear to the world that basically the game belongs to fans, which it does. You know, they are the lifeblood of the game. And you thought, you know, the axis was swirling towards supporters again, you know, and that they were the priority for those who run the game. And then obviously 12 months later, we have this farcical situation where, where the FA will push ahead with playing a game. But in London at Wembley, um, between two teams from geographical close proximity, can't, can't get on trains to London that, that day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, essentially, like you said, it comes, it comes down to money, doesn't it? You know, the FA... Yeah. Want ninety thousand bums on seats? They want people spending money in the stadium, around the stadium. Um, it's a, money. Money is the common denominator for this argument, all argument. But you know, it's just a kick in the guts for for, for the man and woman on the street again, isn't it? Really, it, it really is. Yeah, I don't. I, you know, I don't know. Is there any scope for moving it? I, I, I mean, the FA won't move it. That's for sure. But is the argument? Completely- well, another irony is John that the, the FA have literally this week put in a proposal to host the twenty twenty eight Euros, and part of that their dossier will be them boasting of having some of the best stadium in Europe, and we do. We have yep. got Old Trafford, the Etihad, we've got St. James's Park, we've got Villa Park. Mm-hmm. Why can't that game, just as a one-off, because there's an issue with the trains, why can't they play that game at Old Trafford or Villa Park? Yeah. The one we also might be, from the FA's point of view, if they did do that, it was a better occasion, it was a better atmosphere, there'd be a clamour then for the semis to go back to being at club stadiums and just the final be at Wembley, and that's the last mm-hmm. thing that they want. Because obviously lost a lot of money in the pandemic and they want to claw back some cash. Well, yeah. Yes, and, and listen, the FA, of, you know, within the organisation, you know, as we all know, they, they, they're suffering or they've had to suffer cutbacks. So their argument is they, they, they need that revenue. I agree, I think, I think as a one-off, they should give consideration to moving it if that's um, possible. I don't think they will. Well, they might give consideration, but I don't think they'll, they'll end up moving it. Mm. Um, and the idea that the semi-finals should be somewhere else now, that's sort of... A bird has flown, hasn't it, really? And and it's sort of ironic. I mean, I don't think they should be at Wembley. This particular case, by the way, just taken on its own, clearly shouldn't be there. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You know, it goes out saying it's ridiculous that there's no trains to get there. And also the fact of the matter is, you know, these are... These are straightened times, you know. These are, I mean, you know, as, as we pick up the papers this morning, you listen to the chancellor yesterday. These are hard times for people. We know, mm. very, very hard times. So the idea of taking two, you know, which are essentially, you know, two great working class clubs of Liverpool and Man City fans down to London anyway, cost wise, is just ridiculous. Even if the trains were running, you know, we all know how much the trains are. If you have to then get in your car, we all know how much petrol is. If you happen to stay over in London, we all know how much that is. If you want a pint in London, we know how much that is. So that's going to be an element of it as well. I mean, it, it is just that this... You're making it sound... Like, the reason I'm laughing is not, not belittling your argument, but you're making it sound like it's another, you know, it's a, it's a distant planet on a, you know, on Mars or something. It's, it's 10 degrees. For, for a start off, we now. need a new wardrobe because it's 10 degrees warmer down there. <laughs> Look at Johnny there with his Hawaiian shirts on down south. So anyway, but, but, but it is, you know, as a one-off, I mean, but going forward, it's not going to change because that's part of the deal when you got the new Wembley. It's part of the deal, you know, again, and you're going back on old ground here, whether it should have been 
at Wembley or not. And on the broader point that you made, John, about about travelling, I, 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 I do this all the time. In, in, I mean, I go on about this all the time. It's absolutely insulting to, to, to fans. But there's only one way it can change, and that's if clubs take charge of the situation. You know, it's, it's in the gift of the clubs who pretend to care for their own fans. Because when the next TV deal comes along, don't sell your soul. Keep a, keep a grip, keep a control of the fixture list. They've got no control because they've sold it for billions. So essentially, the TV company says, well, we want this game on that night, on a Monday night. We want, I don't know, whoever it may be, Arsenal versus Newcastle on a Monday night. We don't give... We don't care about Newcastle. That's just you know a made-up game. Newcastle fans getting here, Arsenal fans getting there. And it's a TV. And the clubs can do nothing because they've sold themselves lock, stock, and barrel to the TV companies. And once they do that, all better off. And don't forget, they're not particularly, as much as they might say so, because that TV revenue is so enormous, the actual match day going fan, his and her contribution to the income, of the club, I wouldn't say it's negligible, but it's not far off. You, you, you know, the, the actual cost of a bum on of, of what they bring, and the cost of staging the game, you know, is is not really. It, it costs you X amount to stage a game, as we clearly know now with the Chelsea situation. They want nine hundred grand to stage a game. They say they need. So imagine the ticket when you get back in. The actual match day revenue figures. We've all seen the figures compared to the TV figures. They're a drop in the ocean. They are. are we missing something in this whole argument, though, that kind of really does my head in? If 60,000 fans want to travel from the northwest down to London at the weekend, let's put trains on that follow tracks that don't go into Euston. There's enough of them in the country. <laughs> you know, it doesn't seem to me like rocket science. People complain about everyone, they're all going to be in their cars. Well, that's a green issue. Mm. Late night trains back from the back of beyond for fans. You know, 2,000 fans who want to come back by train and they can't because there's no trains running. Put on a train. It's not difficult. It's not rocket science. The tracks are all there. The the trains are all there. It just needs organising. And actually, there's a massive green issue on it because, yeah, the old football specials, you know, talking the old – but actually, it's a more environmentally friendly way for loads of fans to travel. Mm. And, you know, it's the 21st century, for goodness sake. How can you cut off a quarter of the country? Forget the football fans. Let's say somebody wants to go and see their family, you know, for, for Easter. Why is somebody in Manchester not able to get down to London over the whole of Easter? It's just yeah. I looked at the trains. So it was a train planner yesterday, and what would you what you would do? And obviously, you can make it. You need you to can go east coast and times. absolutely go railway and whatever you know. And it's 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 bizarre. And I'm not excusing that. Although someone you know someone did say to me yesterday that the sort of kind of that they've estimated that only two thousand two hundred and fifty fans. Travelled by train from the Liverpool area to the Carabao Cup final, which was an interesting take. But Matt, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with you about the about the football specials because I think we're all of an age, aren't we? That basically we can remember, <laughs> um, that, that, that we can remember the kind of those trains. I can remember going away as you know, probably as a bit too young and shouldn't have been doing it basically but basically going to the going to the northwest for a night match and still managing to get home to london basically like on on a wednesday night uh, a game at old Trafford as a fan and i just think you know it's i just can't understand where that is gone you're right it's a green issue it's a you know it's looking after the fans i i in fairness i think that basically you know bt sport are doing a, a better thing aren't they basically they're sort of kind of 
you know, if you played in the Champions League on the Wednesday night, you won't be expected to play in a BT Sport fixture on the on the Saturday lunchtime from next season, which is a good thing. You know, let's take it a step further and have a proper conversation about looking after fans to make sure that they can get there. Yeah, you know, no matter how the, many the numbers are, because it, you know. It's not going to be 60,000 fans on the trains, is it? It really isn't. Equally, we need to look out for however many want to travel. It's going to be several trains full. And that's all. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Three or four trains full in the morning, three or four trains full back. Even if you have to divert via weird parts, you know, direct routes. But okay, it's not the usual ones. And just get them there and back. It's a. Listen, the the service as it's run normally isn't great. So I can't imagine anyone's going to be putting on individual trains, you know, whose trains are they? I mean, you know, where do you get a train? Well, what they could do, what they could do and what Liverpool and Man City might even do, it wouldn't surprise me, but what they could do and other clubs have done this in the past, considering the situation, Liverpool and Man City might just say, right, we're going to put on coaches for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, FOC, um, you, know, you know, clubs, I mean, Stoke City, for example, down the road from here, I've been doing it to away games in the league for years. And, and and basically just say, okay, listen, there's coaches going from Anfield or whatever, um, and they will put as many coaches on as as is required to get our fans to and from Wembley. I think I think on this occasion, you know, it's not it's not necessarily the you know the, the onus is on them to do it because it is an FA decision. Don't forget, you, you, you know, this isn't like a, a Premier League thing that they've sort of signed up for. But you know, maybe on this occasion they should just say, well, hang on a minute, like you know, the game will kick off at five thirty. Everyone get yourselves down to Liverpool at 10 o'clock yeah. and we'll go in a, a convoy of, of coaches down, down to London. I mean, to me, that would be a, a sensible solution. Moving forward, I think there's got to be a bit of flexibility. If, if I mean, because listen, let's face it, Wembley's ideal. Chelsea Palace, great. You know, yeah. that, that's ideal. Yeah. But I think going forward, uh, the idea of flexibility in the semi-final, I don't understand, by the way, what, why it is. I don't understand why, having known about these essential works, and, you know, again, going back to Dunny's point, you know, I guess, you know, they do have to work on, you know, they do have to maintain the lines at some point. And you do understand that actually the most convenient time, believe it or not, is bank holiday weekends when people aren't commuting for work purposes. I do get that. So, you know, you can't just, I don't think we just batter. We're great. You're sure you're going to divert services to another station. Whatever, Matt. But we're not, we're not rail experts. I mean, you may well be. my train track, you know, it's uh, exactly. yeah. <laughs> so a little bit. A little bird tells me though that the sort of network rail fact controllers were laid up. Told them two years up. ago. Yeah, November yeah, yeah. twenty nineteen. Yeah. So, so the thing is, and, and also, I don't, I don't quite understand. And I mean, wrote to them. And wrote to the FA again in September, which, I, 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 which, which, which tells everyone what we need to know that the FA have known for two years about this, and so they're clearly not going to now switch the other. And I don't understand why the FA for not being in that transport meeting where they announced that there was going to be close. You can't expect the FA to know anything. And six months ago it was exactly two months after the fixture calendar was drawn up. But so I don't it's like thanks for the letter. Yeah, that would have been handy information a couple of months yeah. ago. I don't understand why it's Easter weekend. You know, they 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 they, they could have the semi-finals another weekend, you know, the weekend before the weekend after. So so you know, I mean it's basically just a massive cock up all around, isn't it? Let's get that right. And, you know, it's something that, that has to be avoided. And again, the other ironic thing about the whole of this is that I'm sure we ask probably everyone in our industry and you say, should the semifinals be at Wembley? Well, no, I don't think so. However, how many times do you um, 
speak to managers who are playing in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, and they go on about how they're one step from Wembley and how excited they are to be one step from Wembley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My grandpa said the same. You, you wouldn't have believed it by the way they played in the quarterfinal, but <laughs> he said the same with Everton. You know, and this idea. And how many times do you see clubs go to Wembley? Now, listen, Liverpool and Man City again are different because Man City, in particular, Liverpool are not far behind. You know, they, they are literally going to Wembley. You know, a couple of times a season, almost it feels like that. But obviously, other clubs that get to Wembley for a semi-final enjoy the day. There's no getting away from that. They enjoy the day. Mm-hmm. It you know, devalues it, the final, though, doesn't it? Let's be honest. I, I think it does personally. I, I would yeah. love to see it go back to our no, final. If I not growing up, the final was always at Wembley. You had to to get to Wembley. You had to reach the final. Not yeah, the final. I agree. I do. Yeah, I but that went out the door when all the playoffs started being played at Wembley as well. The number yeah. of games that are played at Wembley, you can't. The, the, the cup final has its own special place. And, yeah. And I, I think again, it's special, but... Well, you, but... But you have got to move into the real world. And the fact of the matter is, is you can't, you can't, you can't build a stadium costing, you know, not far south of a billion pounds and use it, you know, every second month or, or whatever. You know, you, you if you've got that, you've got to use it as much as you can. That's as simple as that. That's just a fact of life. You know, we have got to... It, it'd be great if, like, you know, it'd be great if we had white horses at Wembley still for a final and stuff like that. But we're not. We're in the 21st century where we've got a billion pound stadium that needs paying for, and you don't pay for it by having the odd cup final there. You pay for it yeah. by having as many games as possible. Why do you think you know, England played it? Why, why do you think we're all going down for two friendlies at Wembley? I mean, why couldn't they have been? You know, I mean, think of what's the football powerhouse really? It's up here. Yeah, you know, it, it, I mean, this is the football. Well said, Tony. In the north, well, it is. It's Chester. absolutely, you know, really? the two teams that are dominating football are from here. So what, so what, so, you know, yet where, where are, are, are these two friendlies, the next one? Well, uh, Wembley, because the they Wembley, have to yeah. pay for it. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. Anyway, we could talk about North South Divide all day, couldn't we, boys? Anyway, so let's let's have a look, little look at the um, race for fourth place, really, in top four. Can Arsenal hang on? Or are Spurs putting together a run that really threatens them? Now, listen, I've always said that that I think that Spurs are going to nick it under Conte. And I think, you know, Spurs have had some crazy unpredictable results. But, yeah, it feels like Conte's getting his his house in order. And yet Arsenal's win at Villa felt so big. It's really a tantalising battle, this one, isn't it? Who's going to get fourth, guys? Matt, who do you think? Uh, Spurs. Um, what you've got to remember is Arsenal haven't beaten anyone all season and they're any good. Um, for all that Arteta's improving, <laughs> did, well, top six teams, they've lost seven and they beat Spurs when they're at their lowest ebb. That's it. They got battling draws against Brighton and Palace and beat all the rubbish. You know, Flat track bullies. Sorry? Yeah, they Flat track bullies. They've been very effective at it, but unfortunately their running includes games against Spurs, Chelsea and Man United. And they've shown nothing this season. To, yeah, they've resilient defeats and all the rest of it against City, but they've shown nothing to say that they're going to win any of those three games. And that's enough to drop the points that will allow Spurs to catch them. Spurs have got, I think, the next five games are against teams that they've already beaten this season. I mean, it is going to come down in a large degree to that North London derby whenever it is. But all the evidence is there. I mean, can't... Spurs, the football, some of the football Spurs are playing at the moment. Mm. Yeah, with better quality fullbacks, they'll be beating teams by seven or eight goals with with some of the the, the counter attacking football they're playing. It's just that um, they can't get necessarily finish off some of their better moves. But 
the momentum's all there. And for as much as Arteta has, has probably stopped the rock, turned the corner, laid a foundation, he's not anywhere near putting in the structure to, to compete with the top four teams yet because he can't, he can't touch them. And he needs better players for that, and he needs better players, better leaders, I think, around the brilliant young players that he has nurtured through and made the most of. But mm. but Spurs are a stage ahead of that with Kane, in particular with Son. You know, they're just a class extra on top of what they've got uh, at Arsenal, and I, I do think Arsenal struggle in those big big games and uh, will drop the points. Let's have a little look also at these sort of kind of the um, uh, England friendlies, um, really. I, I don't know how you guys see it. I mean, is there, is, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it's the last friendlies before the World Cup, which is an incredible thought. It's still eight, eight months mm-hmm. away, the World Cup. But, you know, because of the sort of the way the, the Nations League fixtures fall in June and September, yeah. the, these are the last, it's the last chance to experiment. Is anyone going to kind of, Get an opportunity to stake a claim in these two games, or is, or is frankly, do we know really? Because we are in a good place. Are the places for the World Cup squad effectively sewn up? Um, I don't think effectively sewn up. I, I would have thought if you asked Southgate, I mean, I'm sure we may ask him when we um, when we speak to him tomorrow. Um, before we, while we're not asking about the ramifications of having a World Cup in Qatar, which I suspect might dominate most press conferences between now and then, um, if we actually ask him, as they say, about the football, um, it might be that, that, you know, I would expect him to be in a position where he, he probably knows, say, you know, of, are we 23 or 24 for the World Cup? Do we know? I think it's 25, isn't it, actually. 25? Okay, so I'm of, well, anyway, let's put it this way. He probably, he would say he knows. You know about Nothing. eighty, about ninety percent of his squad. Say, say it was twenty-four. He'd know <clears throat> twenty, twenty-one, or something like that. I, I, I would have thought. Uh, and it's interesting because you say about about his last chance to experiment, but then he might, you know, this he, 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 he can experiment. It's twenty-three, in the, by the way, guys. I've just checked. Twenty-three. Oh, We're back to twenty-three. It's, it yeah, and just, it, it's extra one, obviously, extra one. Covid-wise, Euro twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, forgive me. Yeah, sorry. I think. Um, you know, he can experiment in theory in the Nations League games. You know, I know I know they are competitive games and it's something that, you know, he likes. But you can, and in a way, it's probably good, you know, considering the standard of the, the opposition um, that they're going to face in those games in the end of the season, June. You know, Italy, Germany, um, Hungary, isn't it? And, and, you know, they're good games. So actually, they're going to be more of a game. They're going to be a games. They're going to be games, really, that someone can make a case for himself to be, you know, to, to get into the squad. You know, you, you're not going to, if someone has, if someone from the outside, so, someone, I, I don't know, Carl Walker-Peters or, or someone has, has a great game against Switzerland on Saturday evening, to be fair, it's probably not going to have a massive impact on his chances of getting into the World Cup squad in November. If he does that in the Nations League, it will. You know, as much as we would um, try to... Uh, and you know, we all round this. Um, we all enjoy the international football, but it really is going to be a tough one to sell. It won't be because we've got great fans who are going to turn up, but it's a tough one to sell. It's a sellout. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's no, <laughs> the trains run. Uh, there's, um, there's no one. It, it's not. It's not a case. I don't think where you can, as much as we will, you can't read a huge amount of significance into who plays well and who doesn't um, in, in 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 these two games. I mean, John. Realistically speaking, between now and that first game in Qatar, how many places are up for grabs in Southgate starting eleven? There can't be many, can there? No. I don't no. expect him to start with a similar team to what finished the Euros. Yeah. Is that good? Is that is that maturing well, together? Is that being it, settled? It worked, that... didn't it? It worked last summer. We, we you know we 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 got to the final and we lost a heartbreaking penalty shootout to a very good Italian team. So mm. you know, I think it'll be a yeah. tweak. The one player I would like to see play more, start more games is um, Jude Bellingham. Yes, I totally agree. I think he's going to be, he's already world-class, but he, as he grows older and more mature, he's going to be yeah. a real real world in midfield for England. He's going to be the, the fulcrum of the team, you know, in three or four years' time. But, you know, if he can keep his development going between now and Qatar, I would like to I think he might start. At the I, 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 feel, scary, I, I feel this time. Yeah, he's dominating games week in, week out in the Champions League. Yeah, and I, f- I feel as if he was doing that f- for a you know big English club, for example, in the Champions League. We'd probably take more notice of it, and the kind of the public pressure would be greater. And I'm not saying that necessarily sways Gareth Southgate. I'm sure sees a lot of Bellingham, but blimey, I can't believe that you know Bellingham isn't more in the frame. Surely he'll start one of these two games and you know what he'll be like. I mean, he's just, yeah. you know, powerful and yet silky and I just think he glides across the pitch. He's a brilliant player. Absolutely brilliant was, was, player. Was Gareth happy that he cried off the game last year? Oh, don't start. But I mean, you know, it's... You know, yeah. very young to be crying off England games. <laughs> yeah, but... Yeah. it's a con- It was a conversation, wasn't it? <clears throat> Conversation generally involves two people, so <laughs> you know maybe it's a two-way street. I just, I just feel that no, he's, I mean, he's an irresistible happy, player yeah. for England. Yeah, well, you know, really. But there you go. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to move on to. Oh, well, actually, we should mention Wales, of course. I mean, Absolutely. you know, it's a bit of a, a bit of a strange one. This is going to be elongated process, isn't it? Really. But do we think that Wales will get through the first hurdle, guys? You know, starting tonight. You know. Um, Really, because obviously what, everything going on with, with the playoffs and the kind of, you know, the sort of the uh, the, the, the process now. But I yeah. guess, well, you know, does that affect the mindset at all? Or, or, or are you just as motivated as ever, even though you know you have to kind of wait for the second? second I game. think Wales just got to take it one game at a time. It's a cliche, but just take mm. it one game at a time. Don't think about the potential prize at the end of it. You know, they've not been in a World Cup for, what, 64 years. So mm. it's huge for them. And they have punched above the weight of late, haven't they? You know, mm. um, in the last few Euros especially. So, you know, you wouldn't count against them getting through. It'd be great to see. I mean, look, if they did get through and ended up playing Scotland in, in a playoff shootout for yeah. a World Cup place, that would be quite some occasion. Yeah, I know it seems an obvious thing to say, John, but you know, I, th- I think I think they look quite an even match, um, Wales and Austria tonight. They they yeah. look, you know, I I I wouldn't personally sort of, you know, I I've been betting it if, if it was a betting man. But I mean, what you would have to say, and again, it seems an obvious thing to say, but you would have to think that, you know, there can't be any more a player more motivated than Gareth Bale, can there? Surely, mm. I mean, there cannot be. I mean, from the sense that, like, you know, I mean, when did we last know someone of that level? To be essentially a bespoke international player, 
<clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it's 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 quite 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 bizarre, especially when you see Real Madrid getting thumped by Barcelona <laughs> in the Clasico the other day, mm. and you think you know, they've got a guy. I mean, I mean, he's literally you know just a, a bespoke international player. It, it, mm. It's it's um, it's odd, um, and you would think he'd be as motivated as anyone. So you know, I think it's going to be. I mean, I really hope they do do it. You know, they, they were they were a great, um, you, you know, um, the greatest of Euros when they were there in in France, and it was you know it, it would be fantastic if they could if they could make it there into Qatar. Can you imagine such a small place, Qatar? Can you imagine if, if we have obviously it can't be it can't be both, but if if, if Wales or Scotland actually actually get there to supplement England, it'd be, it'd be great fun. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Right, we're going to do an and finally now, which I'm sure you've read at the bottom of uh, <laughs> our wonderful producer Ned's, uh, Ned's uh, running order. Um, and and he, he's amused me with this one uh, uh, as as Ned, simply because he says, in honour of Ralph Raniak watching the cricket in the West Indies, what are the strangest places you've bumped into or spotted a football manager? And Ned points out here, I was stood next to Avram Grant in the urinals at London 2012. <laughs> On a similar vein, I must confess here, probably the, the, the weirdest one for me was queuing up and bumping into um, for the disabled toilet in, in Tesco's in Ware next to Brendan Rogers. <laughs> so there you go. Why were you going in a disabled toilet? <laughs> Well, it's the only toilet, but I don't think you were precluded from going in the disabled toilet, but they were saying you can use it as well. But anyway, but there you go. On a similar theme, this turned into a urinal theme. I was once in a, in a club in Leeds one night. It's many, many years ago. I don't forget <laughs> clubs these days, I'm afraid. Oh, yeah, right. Anyway, I was, stood a minute, I was stood at the urinal, and I looked to my right, and Howard Wilkinson came in and stood next to me, and I'm like thinking, what? I mean, it was yeah. like a young person's place. I'm thinking, why are you in here? So I've looked to my left to see if, if anyone else had recognised him. And Eric Cantona was on my left. No. I was flanked by Howard Wilkinson and Eric Cantona. It was a Saturday night. They'd obviously had a game in Leeds that day. And they were both there right either side of me. <laughs> I just hope you got that night out of who on X's, Jeremy. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Matt. Um, I think the most surprising, there have not been many actually uh, outside of work, but uh, and this was technically in work. Two days after David O'Leary was sacked at Aston Villa, um, we're all at the Open at Royal Liverpool. And it was a big surprise to see him striding down the fairways. The Tiger. Uh, <laughs> following Lee's friend Lee Westwood. Um Yay. Two days afterwards, right down the middle of the fairways, with a press armband on that, that he borrowed, yeah. and uh, and I was covering the that group going there. Looks like David O'Leary, and it was. But but his golf stories were always legendary. Should have should have guessed he was. Um, he always used to whenever we used to chat before press conferences at Leeds, he'd, he'd talk about his friendship with Howard Clark initially. Then uh, Tiger. And then those stories were well, spoiling my punchline a little bit here, Crossy. But yeah, then, then he got to know Lee, Lee Westwood and followed him instead. Uh, and Lee Westwood invited him to the Masters one year. And his first story back was, so I was in the breakfast queue behind Toyga, and uh, <laughs> and he'd moved up another level of the uh, <laughs> Lee Westwood's a thing of the past. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lee Westwood forgotten. He suddenly he's in the breakfast queue with Tiger. So that was the the most unexpected there. Just. Uh, Seeing him stride just literally two days after being sat by Villa. 
Do you remember David ringing up one of our colleagues and saying, oh, how are you doing? He says, man, I'm just checking you've got my number. And our colleague goes, yeah. He says, we'll never use it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And Andy. A few experiences. Again. Hey, yes, I'd, I'd say you bump into every... I, I was thinking, I mean, th- th- this is going going way back and, and sadly uh, he's, he's no longer with us. But I don't know whether any of you remember the old Chester manager, Harry McNally. Anyone? No. Yeah. I, just, I mean, I, 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 I don't know him. I don't know him, but I know... I mean, I mean an absolute legend. No, no. And and um, I, I met him, same as Jeremy, I did meet him. He just signed Keith Birchin for Chester. Mm-hmm. And... Um, a big pal of John Richardson's, Harry, uh, uh, what was, and and he just signed Keith Bertrand. And I met him in a nightclub, and the pair of them literally were swinging from the chandeliers. He'd only just signed that day, and he was absolutely like, but I, I bumped into him. I, I, I looked at him. He had what he had, he had a moustache. He, he was he had the the England's biggest collection of spaghetti western videos, and I bumped into him in a car boot sale. <laughs> I mean, strangely, he <laughs> was next to me, and he was buying. I thought that's Harry McNally, but you could tell because he had the moustache like that guy off the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> it's just, it was just one of those surreal moments. And he was buying a spaghetti western off this guy at a car boot sale, and I used to bump into Harry at all sorts of places. Just one of those weird things, you know, when you when you just bump into someone all the time, and and, and it's bizarre. And, and my 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 bad memories is I was walking past his office. I looked in, at Chester, and he was naked on the floor, pretending to cut the carpet with a pair of nail scissors. And one of the guys in there, he was ghosting the carpet. So what's that all about? He's well, he was explaining what he would do to the punishments he would give to football hooligans. I mean, this was in the eighties. You know, we were going way back, and and, and he kindly demonstrated that what, what he was doing. And, and I would literally bump into Harry, as I say, God rest his soul, an absolute character, an unbelievable character. And just one of those guys that I just seem to bump in, in into everywhere we go. But obviously when we're abroad as well, you know, bumping into them in different scenarios is is weird, isn't it? Like, you know, yeah. when you I remember sort of, uh, you remember when Wenger sort of did his media gig and, and you bump into him in little places here, here and there. <laughs> but... Um, but I have to say, the Rangnick in Barbados one absolutely took me back. What's what mm. to do with there? Mm. Didn't you yeah. bump so into Southgate did this... once, Crossy? You were, sorry? Didn't you bump into Southgate once in some sort of random hotel in? Was it Qatar, was it? <laughs> very, very good, yeah. What was that? <laughs> Fancy seeing you here. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a suggestion of stalking. Yeah, let the cat out of the bag, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've all, I, I don't forget, we, 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 all, we all bumped into Sven many times in certain places, didn't we? Yes, yes, absolutely. Remember when he had the disguise on in Manchester? Flat yeah. cap. Exactly, exactly. Fantastic. And Boys, of course, thanks. And of course, we did to Conte over breakfast the, the other week, pal, which oh, yeah. we said about last week. Absolutely. I was more intrigued as to what as to why on earth you, 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 your aforementioned manager would go round to football hooligans' houses and then start cutting their... It wasn't. It was in his office. Nail scissors, but there you go. No, it was in his office. And it was in his office and he was explaining what he'd do. He said, saying, right, this is what I'll do. They'd go out and cut the pitch. With net, right. it'd make cut oh, the I see. Right, okay. Right, got you. Naked. <laughs> no, because it's cold up here. Obviously warm down there. Yeah, well, absolutely. Get sun on your back. Right, boys. Nice to see you. Thanks so much for joining. And thanks, everyone, for watching. <laughs>